For all the science to satisfy your gut, Deerland brings you Digestible, a podcast breaking down the trends of the nutraceuticals industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Digestible, a Deerland probiotics and enzymes podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the Deerland podcast. I want to make sure you're getting all the Deerland content that you crave as you're listening along today. So make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you're going to our website, Deerland.com. Again, Deerland.com for more episodes of Digestible and other Deerland probiotics and enzymes content. So on today's episode of the podcast, we'll be getting perspectives on the future of microbiome product development, better understanding the opportunities that are guiding the market, as well as some threats that may be holding it back. Many factors are influencing microbiome product development today. Everything from the maturing of the market, customer demographics are changing, personalization of the product has become coveted for the consumer, the science of microbiome product development continues to evolve and improve, etc., etc. So today we're wanting to ask, how are these factors laying the way for the future of microbiome products? Which ones are seen as positives? Which ones are seen as negatives and why? So for insights, we're joined by Noah Voriatis. He's a managing director for Gen Biome Consulting. Noah, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Thanks so much, Daniel. Really appreciate you having me on and I've been a big fan of, of the podcast. So excited to, to get to be a speaker and, and appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure getting to source your insights today. So just so our audience better understands the perspective that you are bringing to the conversation today, can you start by clarifying where in the microbiome product development process Gen Biome actually fits in? Absolutely. That, that's a great question to kind of level set um, our discussions. So Gen Biome was started because not only for my personal passion in the microbiome space, but professionally, it's something that you know I enjoy working in. We're a boutique consulting company that you know has a few key areas that we focus on. One happening to be everything related to the microbiome from testing, uh, probiotic, prebiotic development from clinical to lifestyle and wellness. And so we help companies of all sizes and stages on the microbiome side develop products, strategy, you know, understand kind of product development, market fit, scientific due diligence, those kind of things to help keeping the, the field moving forward and, and hopefully being a good steward of the category. Perfect, Noah. Thanks for that context. Sure. So you've both personally and professionally been involved in the probiotic and prebiotic microbiome space, genomic and personalized health space for at least the past five years. In that time, how have you seen the microbiome product market grow? What has changed uh, even just in that recent amount of time? Yeah, you know, it's it's been incredible in the last five years to see um, the microbiome as a term, I think, start to reach the consumer kind of consciousness in, in more meaningful ways. Um, and then obviously branching out, I think a lot of where the consumer is at today, you know, the probiotic space really owe, is owed a lot of credit because I think that was kind of their first anchor point to understanding that we kind of have these bugs in our digestive tract and it's on our body um, and around our body in the soil. And so that kind of helped educate the consumer to understanding the importance of, you know, optimizing their microbiome. I would say in the last five years, you know, due to, 
you know, a lot of advances in our scientific understanding of the role that the microbiome plays, both in our gut um, and now beyond from skin to, to mood, to anxiety, depression, you know, respiratory conditions, and even its role in, um, you know, cancer drug development and, and efficacy and response. On the consumer product side, we're seeing a lot more, I think, diversity. So where probiotics were probably the, the anchor product category within that microbiome space, we're seeing a rise in prebiotics. Um, in fact, this week, it's the Global Prebiotic Week to, to highlight the, the importance of including it in your diet. We're starting to see a rise in comp combining pro and prebiotics for, for symbiotic applications. And I think really the exciting thing is from the consumer approachability standpoint, we're starting to see microbiome-based products, whether it's in the form of pro, pre, or symbiotics, um, being included in a much wider range of product formats. So, you know, I think five years ago, anybody wanting to optimize their gut health or their microbiome really had to rely on a capsule or a sachet in some form. And now we're starting to see it in beverages, in gummies, in food. Um, so there's, there's not only a diversity of ways to interact and, and optimize your microbiome from an ingredient perspective, but also from a, a finished product format perspective that I think is becoming very attractive to the consumer. So let's dig a little deeper into the whys of that growth. Uh, why exactly have we seen this microbiome product market grow so much in the last several years? And how have companies responded to this growth, both existing product developers, but also new players in the game that have seen this growth and wanted to get a piece of the pie, basically? Yep. So I think, you know, why has the microbiome product space seen such growth, I think comes down to the growth in our, our scientific understanding of the microbiome. So that's one which I, you know, I mentioned previously. I think the other aspect is simply the access to capital and the, the powers that be and that are distributing that capital are becoming much more diverse and more interested in the space. So whether that's in the traditional VC markets you know, whether that's in the private equity hedge fund spaces or in the corporate venture capital spaces, you know, you're really starting to see that. So, you know, specifically kind of within the within the funding spaces, you know, you have some of the leading, you know, venture capital firms like Seventure, Johnson & Johnson through both their venture arm and their incubator, placing some pretty heavy bets in the space. Um, you also have, you know, DSM and Pont Ventures, you know, had some investment in the space as well and interest in the microbiome from a corporate venturing perspective as well as ADM. And then on the hedge fund side and the private equity, you know, you're, you're starting to see capital being injected and acquisitions happening. You know, most recently, you know, the Smart Suites ac acquisition, you know, by TPG Growth for $400 million. Um, while Smart Suites wasn't initially marketed as a, a microbiome kind of based product. It was really a better for you kind of candy in, in reducing sugar, but they, they decided to reduce that sugar by adding, you know, prebiotics and fibers in a meaningful amount that you get in a package. So you're, you're starting to see money flowing into the space, which is then allowing acceleration of kind of novel business models and novel ways to connect with the consumer. Examples of that would be um, Olipop, which is, I think now they're a client of, of GenBiome and have been working with them since, you know, the beginning, you know, they're now, I think the leading prebiotic soda in the nation and have had, you know, roughly 900% year over year growth. And a lot of that is due to, you know, being able to secure money to accelerate that growth. Smart Suites is another example. 
I think the, the next year award for best um, digestive health product uh, was Llama Naturals, and, and they've created and formulated a, a gummy-based pre- and probiotic combination, and that's powered by, that's powered by the science, and the science is then being shared within a variety of different uh, media channels that is reaching the consumer. Um, and then you have more of these product launches that are, you know, reaching the consumer and educating them on uh, the importance of, you know, most approachably, you know, gut health and the role that our gut plays in supporting immune health in, in other things in our body. So I'd say those, those are two really big factors. I would say the other factor is, as I mentioned previously, the expansion um, and the growth of the ways that consumers can consume microbiome-based products, you know, through these beverages, gummies, foods, makes it much more approachable and aligns more with kind of, I think, some of the shifting desires within certain demographics, particularly, you know, Gen Z and millennial demographics of maybe wanting to move away from a pill, you know, and get get their nutrients in more functional-based food, beverage, beverages, powders type of ingredients. So you're starting to see demographic shifts that are awakening to the importance of, you know, um, not only total body wellness, but also starting to realize that wellness does really start in your gut. And that, so that's allowing that to, to kind of start discovering, be more curious. And then the media has just been, I think, um, a contributing player to educating both the consumer and brands on the, on the probably on the large, you know, company side of things. One of the things that I've noticed is that you know, on the ingredient side, and in particular, specifically in the probiotic space, you know, probiotics, again, like five years ago, were really narrowly focused in, in, you know, supporting, you know, things having to do with our digestion. But now when you look at the portfolios of, you know, companies like DuPont with their How Are You line, La Lamond, Chris Hansen's acquisition of UAS, they're starting to build out more kind of platform, microbiome-based platform um, opportunities that go beyond the gut, that focus on the life cycle of optimizing the life cycle through our microbiome. So from infant to basically adult to, you know, elderly populations, and then also very specific functional categories have expanded quite substantially from immune to, you know, potential mood and gut brain access products and ingredients that they're, you know, selling to, to finished product companies, and then even some in the, in the sports nutrition space and in and, and others. So you know, large companies, because of their resource capacity and because, again, of their ability to, you know, really do very high quality clinical studies and advance the science, are able to kind of push things forward. All right. So, Noah, I want to go ahead and break down some of those main factors that are impacting microbiome product development. And as we go through these, if you could let our audience know how the market is responding to these changes. Sure. Whether they're seen as positives, whether they're seen as negatives, relatively neutral, or a little bit of both. So let's go ahead and start with customer demographics. What demographics for the uh, microbiome product market have changed recently and why? And how is this guiding product development decisions? You know, I, th I think, I think the, the customer demos have really expanded into kind of the younger set, you know, Gen Z millennials. Again, I think they're very health and wellness focused. They're looking to find, you know, products that, you know, meet the cadence of their, their lifestyle. So as they are desiring more functional food and beverage based products, I think it's a really great thing for the microbiome space. It's bringing in two very powerful and growing demographics uh, within our society. 
that are increasingly diverse, um, which I think is important. And they just have, you know, they have the spending power to, I think, both purchase from, you know, established companies, but are, I think, are also allowing the space for some of these, you know, high velocity, high growth, early stage startups, you know, like the Olipops of the world to really gain some traction and, and again, further, you know, open up the conversation in a way that then opens up other demographics to, you know, the potential that they can get microbiome based products um, in some non-traditional forms. You know, I think a perfect example is, you know, college students, you know, which can fall anywhere from maybe the older end of Gen Z to, you know, younger millennial you know, they buy products now that they're home during COVID due to having to educate themselves remotely. You know, they're having that interaction with their parents. Their parents are seeing them consuming new and novel products that they find really efficacious, that taste good, that meet their kind of lifestyle. And they're and they're, there's this cross mingling. So I think I think that's really interesting to, to think about how that can then rub off on, you know, potentially, you know, late Gen Z, baby boomer type demographics to, to open up their mind space to say, hey, I don't need to just get my microbiome, digestive health, you know, solutions in a, in a pill format. There's, there's other things that are out there that allow me to, you know, kind of have the best of both worlds. Are you seeing those demographic changes as a beneficial change or something that poses um, some exciting opportunities for the market or are these changes a challenge? I, I think all in all, it's going to be very exciting opportunities for the market because it's going to allow for a lot more diversity. It's going to allow for a lot more innovation. It's going to allow for uh, the product to get into more hands of people. So I, I think, you know, within the Gen Z and millennial demographic, it's, it's very exciting. I think when we kind of, you know, you know, advance kind of in, in the age ladder, the Gen Z demographic probably kind of sits in this unique position of, of having consumed maybe the widest range of products and, and, and maybe wanting the widest range of products. And, and now that the market is coming up to meet, um, you know, things from a diversity of format options, I think it, there's a lot of opportunity for, for Gen Z to, to pick and choose how they want to interact with microbiome-based products and also allow someone to maybe not have a, a single occasion to enjoy a microbiome-based product, but it can be something that um, can be enjoyed multiple times a day. So maybe you start with your, your probiotic pill in the morning as a part of your you know, daily supplement re you know, regimen, but you know, during lunch, maybe you crack open you know, a can of Olipop or you eat some sort of finished baked goods that have pro or prebiotics you know, baked into them. Um, maybe you incorporate it in your um, workout routine through like powders um, that have come to the market from a company like Munique, which is combining protein and, um, you know, an efficacious amount of uh, prebiotic fiber. So I think that's really exciting. I think as you again move into probably the baby boomer set, um, you know, I know one of the things that has happened with my parents is their digestive health has changed a lot. Their diet habits have changed. You know, they're not cooking as much. They're eating more processed foods. So for them to be able to get, you know, microbiome supportive ingredients in some of their packaged foods that are just easier for them to cook, I think is really important and exciting. Also, I think the ability to, to do things 
um, again, beyond pill is really exciting for them because typically, you know, baby boomers are a polypharmacy generation. And so they maybe are at a much higher level of pill fatigue than, than other demographic categories. So getting something in food or beverage format or even a gummy format that kind of meets their lifestyle is tasty is going to be really helpful. So I, I don't think that one demographic over another necessarily has you know more attractiveness than than the other i think there's unique opportunities to market to each one and there's a lot of exciting opportunities uh, across the board all right next main factor that we're seeing impact microbiome product development is the expansion of the business models of various companies involved in this product development can you give us some context as to why we're seeing companies have to expand their business models in the first place and how is this impacting how the products are uh, being targeted and marketed Sure. Yeah. You know, I think, I think obviously what everyone is seeing right now with COVID is consumers are massively shifting where and how they're, they're, they're buying products for, for all the obvious reasons. So, you know, companies that, you know, typically in the food and beverage space, and I would say even in the supplement space, it really re- relied on retail that in, in through retail, maybe had a little bit more of a disconnected consumer connection has had to very quickly pivot to e-commerce in, in some form or another. And so I think as far as business models go, I think the rise of e-commerce and I think the rise of um, brands starting to explore some direct-to-consumer opportunities to, again, maybe solidify some of those customer relationships, it has, has really started to rise quite substantially. And when you, when you think about that, also I think the, the idea of subscriptions have increased a lot. And I think the reason why subscriptions have increased a lot are for two reasons. One, you know, if we look at the science, we know that regular consumption of microbiome-based products in, you know, let's say specifically prone prebiotics, it needs to be consumed regularly and it needs to be consumed in a, in a best case scenario on a daily basis in an efficacious amount. And so the subscription naturally lends itself to meeting kind of the scientific criteria, but also from a commercial perspective, recurring revenue is what every company wants. And if you kind of look at the most heavily capitalized, um, largest market cap companies like, you know, the Apple, Amazon, uh, Google's of the world, uh, Netflix, they've done a really amazing job at creating very strong recurring revenue um, business models that have allowed for a substantial amount of you know shareholder value to be created. So whether it's a large company that's publicly traded, you know, looking to essentially increase their their revenue base, which then translates to increased shareholder value. These recurring revenue subscription e-commerce models work very very well. You know, for companies that are private, again, it just you know it increases their valuation perspective because if you can if you can be evaluated in a potential transaction based on a, a multiple of revenue versus a multiple of EBITDA, it's going to substantially increase your potential exit size. And then for you know these earlier stage companies that are that are looking to have more smooth revenue and be able to probably forecast better and also control that customer experience and messaging and journey and collect more data that they own, it makes a lot of sense. So. You know, to recap, it's subscription models, I think, are increasing substantially. E-commerce and DTC is, is increasing. And then we're also seeing, I think, companies really find, trying to find ways to leverage the existing mechanisms, you know, like the Instacarts, like the Amazon Primes, and that whole entire Amazon ecosystem is another huge one. 
that both supplement and you know food and beverage companies and powder-based companies are really relying on. And there's a whole you know cottage industry that's kind of risen to to kind of support the optimization of Amazon-based businesses. So I think COVID has accelerated in a very short period of time business models that were being kind of tinkered with um, by a lot of companies, you know, from from small to large. And I think net-net, it's, it's going to be very beneficial because it's going to massively increase kind of omni-channel interaction capability, which I think at the end means that consumers are going to get microbiome-based products and solutions into their hands in, in a variety of ways and allow them to, you know, increase the, the amount of, of those being consumed, which obviously will um, hopefully have some sort of health benefit whether in the gut or beyond. This next one is uh, an interesting one because it's one of the most consumer-led factors that is influencing microbiome product development, and that would be personalization of the product. If we just take a step back and look at, you know, the sort of services that consumers are treated to nowadays, they're usually very personalized, usually a lot of in-depth you know, algorithms, especially when we look at any sort of tech product or service that is refining the search functionality or the content functionality to be extremely targeted and personalized. When we look at how people order their food, especially uh, during COVID, how they order their groceries, you know, what has been pushed is, all right, let's get a product that can be delivered to my doorstep immediately. How can we get this in one day? How can I customize my order set online and get it exactly to meet my personal consumer needs, right? So all of that's to say, this is leaking its way into most markets, even niche markets like microbiome products. So how have you seen this idea of personalization of the product and of the product experience making its way to health conscious consumers in general does it track similarly to some of those other examples i gave is it a little different what are your thoughts yeah gosh i could i could spend like an hour just just talking about the personalization aspects that that are happening (laughs) in the space so i i think when you think about you know how personalization is you know touching and in changing the microbiome product market. Um, I, I think you kind of have to look at it from, from a few angles. One, I, I think the reason why personalization is entering the microbiome, uh, you know, product space is because, you know, as, as you shared consumers, like we're, we're becoming used to things being designed, built, experienced around us. You know, I think Netflix is a perfect example of one of the earliest like personalization companies. If you think about it through their algorithm, you know, learning about what we like, you know, Pandora, Spotify. So, you know, when we think when we think about what are the what are the products and the companies that we're interacting with most on a day to day basis, typically a lot of those have personalization. I mean, from on the social media side, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok—they're all essentially you know, personalized algorithms of feeding you content that you know, that they know you'll like most to keep you engaging on their app, you know, Netflix. And then, you know, as you move to, to kind of more of the, and, and I think that's bleeding into um, the drive to, to make microbiome-based products more personalized. Also, again, I think foundationally, when we look at the science and the state of the science in the microbiome space, we're starting to realize that, you know, everyone's microbiome is very unique. And there's a lot of variation between you and I. While there's 
maybe certain things that we share in common um, because maybe we live in the same kind of geographic area or have a similar lifestyle. It, we might cluster closer together, but fundamentally our gut bacterial profiles, um, the uniqueness of that is going to drive a lot of the uniqueness in the efficacy and the interactions sometimes of some of these microbiome-based products like pro and prebiotics. And so where it really started was, I think in the diagnostic testing space, you know, Ubiome and American Gut were really the first ones to start getting the public aware, A, of that they had a microbiome to begin with, and that the microbiome did something, and that if you wanted, you could get a snapshot of what your microbiome looked like in the same way that you could take an ancestry test and get a snapshot of, of your whole family lineage. And so those kind of foundations, as well as some big foundational projects on the scientific side in the US, like the Human Microbiome Project and the White House Microbiome Initiative um, and some other things, it's really advanced our understanding that we need to start thinking about developing products that are able to personalize, be personalized to us to optimize our microbiome and, and work best. Now. As those companies have, you know, kind of grown, obviously Ubiome had some sort of uh, legal and regulatory trouble, but that, that basically showed the space that, that it is possible to sell a diagnostic to a consumer to give them a personalized snapshot of where they're at right now with their microbiome and start giving them some information. And, and now we're starting to see the blending of diagnostic and product to be able to realize that kind of full spectrum personalization vision. Um, I think there is a lot of debate out there whether the science is, is ready for that. You know, I think depending on who you ask, they might have differing opinions. But with that being said, they are being, you know, these solutions are being marketed to, to customers. Like Sun Genomics is, is saying that they can personalize a probiotic regimen for you based on your microbiome profile. Viome just launched their personalized, you know, precision supplement line again, based on their, you know, metatranscriptomic microbiome kind of profiling uh, technology and algorithms. Thrive is another example. So you're, you're seeing these, these companies that have, that have taken some of the foundational technologies and science that was like created and, and understood five, maybe seven years ago and starting to try and figure out a way to, to find a fit in the, in the consumer space. And so I think I think it's only gonna it's gonna increase, but I think the consumer's appetite for personalization um, is very multifactorial. So, while you know, in my experience working with clients that are wanting to launch personalized based solutions, whether it's for supplement or food and beverage, it's interesting that when you do consumer research and consumer insight studies with voice of the customer, you know, surveying, there's customers always say yes, I would love to have a product or a service personalized to me. But then, you know, there's a disconnect between them saying yes, that they want to do it. And then the actual response, whether it's taking the time to, to do the kit and do the test to the additional cost that is layered on to be able to get to that level of personalization. But I think that over time, the trajectory is going to move towards microbiome based products being more and more personalized simply because it's the scientific reality, but also I think because it's the consumer reality of, of the way that we want to experience things in our lives. So how is this impacting the product development then? Do consumers already see this kind of personalization elsewhere in the health product market that they'd like to see translated at scale? 
to uh, their shopping for uh, microbiome products. Um, what are your thoughts there? So, you know, I think outside the food and food and beverage space, whether it's fashion, entertainment, social media, technology, I think that's all pretty solidified. And so it's 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 helping as you know as I shared push push people in the direction to say yes, I want something personalized to me. Now you know within the microbiome based product segment, I I think I think the consumer penetration and awareness is if you compared it to probably the the total volume of people that have taken a genetic test for example is is substantially smaller. Um, and I think that's, again, due to a variety of factors of what do they have to do to, to get that information from collecting a stool sample. And for some, you know, there's a huge ick factor involved. Others, it's just, you know, the cost of, of, doing, of doing these tests. And also, I think part of the challenge is, you know, outside of the pharma space and, and outside of very specific, well-validated use cases, like, for example, optimizing glycemic management, which day two has done a really good job of creating a very strong use case for that, leveraging a, a very well-respected foundational, you know, microbiome, you know, human clinical study to make microbiome-based recommendations, which then allows for this evolution of kind of very targeted microbiome-based product development. I, I think that there's, from from the, the consumer desire to the commercial potential, there's, there's still a little bit of a gap. And then, you know, outside of essentially the the interest on the consumer side, the ability to actually manufacture very personalized end of one type of microbiome based solutions, though that manufacturing technology, I think, is not fully there yet to do it at scale and in a in a huge variety of ways. You know, you have you have some companies like Panasutics, which is able to do things in kind of a pouch format, which is really exciting. Obviously, we have the manufacturing and supply chain capabilities to, to do it um, pill format, which is what we've seen in the supplement space from, you know, some of the foundational players like Care of and Persona. And now um, some of the larger players have entered the space, you know, like Pharmavites Nourish and Recaben Kaiser's Vitalmins. But I, I think that part of the challenge, you know, is going to be from a manufacturing side as well. And then from an ingredient perspective, on the probiotic side, to personalize probiotics outside of our traditional lactic acid bacteria with some strains that have known health benefits that maybe a consumer really does need because of the properties of that bacteria being very sensitive through the manufacturing process and the encapsulation and the stabilization process for it to sit on the shelf, we haven't kind of met that yet. But there's a substantial amount of resources being put into it, and I think that over time we're going to find ways to, to, to do that. Something else that has been impacting uh, the future of microbiome products is the science of developing these products in the first place. Can you give us some insight into what advances have been made in the science behind uh, pre- and probiotic product development, and how is that impacting the quality of the product development in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's extremely important, right, to, to be able to have you know very strong science that translates into the consumer feeling confident about their purchasing decision. Because ultimately every consumer is coming to each one of these brands really to, to have a problem solved. And, and in each consumer in that initial buying experience is kind of like, you know, letting out a little bit of trust to saying, Hey, I'm, I'm 
you know, voting with my dollars because I'm trusting that, you know, for this period of time that your product is going to help me in, in some way, whether it's from a wellness and prevention standpoint or more from kind of a, a health supportive, you know, overcoming a health challenge standpoint, you know, that's important. And it all, it all starts, it all starts with the quality of the science and understanding what, what really can be done. So I think foundationally, one of the biggest things that's allowed the entire microbiome space to catapult forward so quickly is sequencing, you know, which is a fancy way of being able to, to take what is in someone's gut, for example, for, for gut microbiome-based stuff and to develop more novel pro and prebiotics and to understand how when we dose with a pro or a prebiotic, how it beneficially impacts the gut. So sequencing has been a huge differentiating factor in our ability to do that with very strong databases and foundational, you know, government-sponsored projects like the Human Microbiome Project has been really, really instrumental. And then with the foundation of sequencing, our ability to then look beyond with other omics-based technologies like proteomics or metabolomics, which in a very approachable way, proteomics is essentially saying what proteins are being produced that will then have the potential to have a physiological impact, you know, allows us to understand other scientific aspects of a pro or prebiotics role in beneficially supporting a functional condition. And then metabolomics is just a really fancy word for saying, you know, what is, what is the end product of all of this metabolism of, of taking a pro or prebiotic and, and, and what type of compounds are being produced that are beneficial problematic. So the most approachable thing I think that everybody knows about from a, a metabolite perspective in the microbiome space are short-chain fatty acids and, and butyrate, acetate, propionate being examples of those. And so our ability to scientifically understand the interrelationships between, you know, bacterial composition and some of these other downstream effects like proteomic, metabolomic through short-chain fatty acids, and then how those have meaningful impacts on functional health conditions um, has allowed us to, to create more optimal blends of uh, probiotics with a variety of probiotic strains or to add in you know, specific prebiotics and fibers that might be most beneficial to support a health condition. All right, last of the main factors before we uh, pivot away to the last uh, few sets of final thoughts from you, Noah. I also want to point out that new, more well-capitalized companies from adjacent industries are seeing the growth in this market. And like we mentioned earlier, they're wanting a piece of the pie. So can you expand on this factor that's impacting microbiome product development? What is drawing companies to this space from adjacent industries? And why is this something that is impacting product development for pre- and probiotic products at large? Yeah, this is this is a really great topic, and I'm really glad you brought it up. And it's a concept that, that I introduced on a LinkedIn post a few months ago. And it, it goes back to the concept of personalization, asset consolidation power. And I realize that that's a mouthful, but in, in a really approachable way, it's saying, you know, what adjacent industries like consumer health, like retail, like um, traditional healthcare that have substantial revenues, they have the resources from a human capital, from a supply chain, manufacturing, distribution, to be able to, to take something very promising like microbiome-based products and push it out, commercialize it, scale it, grow it very, very quickly in comparison to either, you know, 
more novice companies in the space or smaller, less heavily capitalized companies in the space. And so, you know, one of the things that that I've been seeing developing and it has been massively accelerated probably, you know, since since COVID has been kind of within the digital health and then within the retail health spaces. Within the digital health space, you have companies like Hims and Roman that started really in kind of selling generic drugs in, in very high velocity, high interest functional categories like sexual health or hair loss. And the reason why I think the supplement industry should, in, in the microbiome product space, should really open their eyes up to this potential threat is because of how much money a lot of these startups have. Hims just is about to go public through a SPAC um, and raise, you know, two to three hundred million dollars of, of cash. Roman has just raised another round, I think around three hundred million, valuing them at over a billion dollars. So you have these very heavily capitalized companies that are data and digitally native. They understand how to build compelling algorithms to keep consumers engaged. And frankly, I think that there's a, there's a potential for some of these companies to move essentially down in their product development or maybe expand is, is a better word because they need additional revenues to essentially to continue to, to power the growth of their company. And for publicly traded companies, we know revenue growth is, is really important. So I, I think that's one example, the digital health space. Um, and because a lot of these digital health companies are very condition um, specific and have a lot of data that they're collecting from their customers on a daily basis, it allows them to then potentially more easily layer on personalization and or the functional health categories like women's health, maybe gut health, anything having to do with you know uh, mood, um, anxiety, it aligns with the, the microbiome research. It aligns with products um, that they could formulate and create across a variety of things. So I think that's definitely like a, a strong kind of existential threat that should at least be on the radar. I would say the other, the other area is, you know, kind of the retail health space and the, and the growth in that category. And you're starting to see healthcare reimagined from CVS to Walgreens and now even to Rite Aid. You know, Rite Aid recently announced as a part of kind of their, you know, rebranding and, and restructuring that they're going to create like almost like an Apple Genius Bar like experience in their stores back where the pharmacy used to be. And they're actually going to really try and enlist the pharmacists and have them get certified in kind of more holistic health modalities. Um, and to start us understanding that maybe they should start recommending more non-traditional drug-based products and that may be more holistic solutions. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there for microbiome-based products to, to leverage these massive you know, retail distribution powers and some of the changes that are happening within those um, sectors to position their products as potentially being top of mind you know, with the pharmacist or present in a really highly trafficked kind of consumer section of the store, you know, like these genius bars, which visually are probably going to look much more appealing than, you know, the aisles and aisles that we're accustomed to walking down when we're, you know, having an upset stomach or wanting to optimize our skin, you know, because maybe we have acne or eczema and it's going to be much more consumer approachable. So I think those are, those are two areas that I think are potential existential threats that are adjacent industries that might have the potential to, to creep into the space or could be really good partnering opportunities for, for companies. All right, Noah, I want to go ahead and start to wrap up our conversation by applying some of the 
changes that we're seeing in the market to um, other aspects of the product development process. So how are you seeing some of the things that we've broken down here, everything from customer demographic changes to personalization to science evolution to um, fresh companies entering the space, any number of those that you want to mention here. How are you seeing all of that affect the manufacturers and the finished product companies, the other side of the industry here, right? Are they feeling the same strains or opportunities? Why or why not? So naturally, you know, within the microbiome product space, you know, we kind of, it's kind of bifurcated, I think, into to two kind of categories. It's kind of the bacteria, you know, in this in the form of let's say pro probiotics and symbiotics, and then it's probably within the the prebiotic space, so non bacteria. And prebiotics, you know, traditionally have started kind of more fiber based um, ingredients, but is, has expanded substantially as the definition has expanded. So, from a, a finished product manufacturer perspective, I, I think you know, again, depending on the format that they're developing products for, it's forcing them to think about when you talked about quality and the importance of quality to maintaining the, the integrity of the category, that's something that's really top of mind with them. So whether that's novel encapsulation technologies on the, on the supplement side or understanding how they're going to get, you know, something to stay viable in some sort of beverage solution and, or in some sort of finished product, you know, whether when there's a lot of potential different temperature things that are happening from production to shipping to sitting on the shelf to the consumer taking it home. So I, I think depending on, on the choice that the, that, that finished product uh, manufacturing company makes, I think they, they're having to be increasingly mindful of uh, quality, integrity, and preservation of, of that microbiome-based ingredient. And I think, you know, what we've seen in the past on the bacterial side, you know, Ganadin really kind of cracked it open for including a bacterial-based solution beyond a pill. Um, and then, you know, I think other ingredient companies have, have started to step up to the table to try and offer something that, that fits in those food and beverage formats to, so they can... So those finished product companies can feel confident that what they're selling on on the shelves is is actually being delivered from a functional as well as an ingredient perspective. Then on the you know the non-bacterial side with the prebiotics, there's a little bit more ease from a stability standpoint, but there are certain considerations that that have to be made. So the long and short of it is, is I think it can add a, a new little wrinkle depending on the the product format, but you know from a new encapsulation technologies to new ways that ingredients are being created that can say stable in different formats and matrices is, is really kind of adding to the complexity of, of kind of that, that manufacturing process. But I think, again, technology is going to be the foundational thing that's going to allow manufacturers and finished product companies to, to move things forward with confidence. All right, Noah, one last main point for you today. We got to loop in covid to the conversation. It's a bit of an unavoidable factor that's influencing basically every product market today. Just a little bit. Yep. Just a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, just a smidge. So for our microbiome product development conversation, and specifically if we look at how these products are being sold and where they're being sold, do you imagine that COVID is going to intensify the expansion of direct-to-consumer channels? Or do you think that traditional microbiome product purchasing channels will remain will remain robust as retailers further develop their e-commerce platforms? 
go ahead and break down that dynamic for us. In short, I'll say yes, <laughs> which <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yes, the complicated right. answer. <laughs> you know, if you if you stop listening now, the answer is yes. So the the more detailed answer is I I think definitely DTC is is has been playing and will continue to play a a bigger role. You know, within the product channel uh, distribution. But I think the one thing that I think all brands have realized is that they can't be reliant on one channel and they and they have to be omni-channel to survive and to grow. And I think the, one of the exciting things is that unfortunately because of COVID, a lot of the large retailers have had to, you know, compress essentially probably like a five-year e-commerce strategic plan into this year. And, and, and I think that is going to really make brands say, okay, we have these really established, strong e-commerce pipelines, whether it's like the Amazon Primes or the new Walmart delivery services or uh, Shopify is only increasing in, in strength and in, in ways to, to get a, a product out to the consumer. But the long short is I, I, think, I think it's going to be both. I think it's going to be very omni-channel. I think when you think about DTC, when you think about customer acquisition costs and managing that, you know, for product categories and functional categories that are very popular, depending on the cost of acquiring the customer, keyword stuff, and, and other kind of SEO type of things, I, I think it'll. I think DTC will will obviously expand, but I think smaller brands may or may not have a little more challenge in finding new customers or being able to afford to acquire customers in, in some of those places in, in comparison to the larger brands. But uh, long and short of it is yes, and it's going to be much more omni-channel with a heavy emphasis on e-commerce uh, in any way you can think about it. All right, Noah Voriatis, thank you so much for your thoughts today on the podcast. Again, Noah is the Managing Director for GenBiome Consulting. I really appreciate all the insights you've brought to the channel today. Uh, really a pleasure getting to chat. Daniel, really appreciate you having me, and uh, hopefully your audience we'll we'll find uh, find our time together useful and informative thanks again really appreciate it and wishing you continued health and, and safety absolutely same to you and if folks want to find out more about the work gen biome consulting is doing or potentially get in touch how can they do so you know the best way is on linkedin just shoot me a linkedin message that's that's the best way perfect noah take it easy thanks again for your time you too take care and thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Digestible, a Deer Land podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're going to our website, deerland.com, or subscribing to our podcast, Digestible, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. <laughs>